Welcome to Sunday Night Dinner, a podcast that cooks. I'm Suzanne Hancock. Well, why don't we go baste? Yes, we'll go baste. So this is just uh, butter melted on and kept sort of warmish with uh, some garlic in there. I do, I'm going to get a thermometer in a bit and just test the temperature because while they always say, does, the, does it run clear? Um, a, there's no better way to know if it's cooked than to use an actual thermometer. My cat is looking at the chicken as well. <laughs> That's Marty Michelle's making Sunday night dinner. And she's making a classic, roast chicken. The recipe comes from her new cookbook, In the French Kitchen with Kids, a collection that showcases all kinds of traditional French recipes, Think baked eggs, ratatouille, steak frites, creme brulee, all designed with kids in mind. Marty teaches French at a small boys' school in downtown Toronto, and since 2010, she's also taught many of the boys how to cook in what they call cooking club. She also writes a popular blog called Eat, Live, Travel, Write, and on weekends, she develops and tests recipes to share on the blog. Sunday night's pretty relaxed for Marty and her husband, Neil. It's the night to make something that isn't too labor-intensive. I visited her at their house in the west end of Toronto, and we sat at the kitchen table while the chicken cooked, and we talked about growing up in Adelaide, her love of France and French cuisine, and her cookbook. I also went to visit her on a Monday afternoon at 3 at the school where she teaches. What's going on over here? We're uh, smushing tomatoes. Yes. What does it feel like? It feels weird. Large bowl combined the beef, yep. quarter teaspoon of salt, yep. and four pinches of pepper. Okay. So, and what are we doing with, the, with this oregano? We're making meatballs with tomato sauce. So I'm going to give you guys um, the recipe and I want you to take a look. That's Cooking Club, the twice weekly after school hour when Science Lab turns into a kitchen and the boys put on aprons and learn all kinds of culinary skills. I'm so glad I got to check it out, and I can report that it's a well-oiled machine. There were 12 boys, ranging in age from 10 to 13, and they made a whole whack of meatballs and a garlicky tomato sauce with lots of basil in under an hour. It was impressive. The boys were super sweet, and they really demonstrated how capable young people can be in the kitchen. Marty's new cookbook was inspired in many ways by Cooking Club, and it combines her passion for encouraging kids to cook and her love of France and French cuisine. We'll leave the meatballs for a moment and head back into Marty's home kitchen, where the chicken was cooking and Cleo the cat was patiently waiting for a taste. I feel like something like a roast chicken is a pretty standard um, like basic good thing to know how to do. A lot of the kids that tested the recipe um, for the book, um, first of all, were like, oh, it's a bit gross touching the, the chicken, which it is if you're a kid and you're a bit squeamish, it's 
like even sometimes me, I'm like putting the lemon in the cavity. I'm like, ugh. Um, But, you know, once they get over that, they're like really proud because it's a pretty impressive thing to roast a chicken if you're like 12 or 13. Um, So I really like it because, yeah, I mean, the recipe, I think my editor was trying to tell me that I need to put which vegetables. And I'm like, no, just root vegetables. I got away with that. So (laughs) just whatever you have on hand. So tonight I just had carrots and potatoes and onion. I threw a little bit of garlic in there as well. Um, Some thyme, some lemon zest, uh, oil, salt and pepper. Um, And really that's a great thing for kids to do because it needs to be mixed with your hands. So even if they're too little to do much of the other, um, the oven stuff, they can chop the vegetables because they need to be roughly chopped and mix all of that stuff up with their hands. And basting, if mums and dads are careful, um, that's something that little kids can do as well, mm-hmm. um, just with a, a lot of supervision. Um, but yeah, so that basting really helps it, you know, that crispy skin, which is the best bit. Like once you've got the technique down, you can change up the herbs, you mm-hmm. can change up the vegetables, you can change up the spices or yeah. So tell me how you get the butter under the skin. Um, so you take the skin and you just push your fingers under it. Like little kid fingers are good for that because they fit. Um, so I'm sort of like poking around a little bit. And you just actually, if you lift the skin up and slide your finger, it does slide pretty easily on the breast there. Um, and you just sort of poke the butter. It's room temperature butter, so you can squish it a little bit. And you put some on the top as well. This chicken recipe is called Mr. Neal's Roast Chicken. You'll meet Neal in a bit. And for the chicken itself, it calls for butter, lemon, garlic, thyme, and salt and pepper. The chicken's roasted on a bed of assorted root vegetables, and it takes about an hour and a half. You can find the recipe on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com. Head over to the recipes link, and you'll find a full description of Mr. Neal's chicken. But literally when we learned to make this at George Brown, our chef took, she used much more, but she used like two sticks of butter or something and like literally a stick under each side of the skin. And it was like, whoa, that looks really weird, but it tasted amazing. Um, So yeah, it's amazing what butter can do. And roast chicken is such a French dish. You can find it in every corner bistro or neighborhood market in France alongside potatoes and vegetables. Some people swear by slathering the chicken in duck fat. Some use canola oil. Some roast with stock in the bottom of the pan. And some, like Marty, use lots and lots of butter. Tell me about France. Tell me how you ended up there initially. I was born in Adelaide um, in South Australia. So it's a pretty small town comparatively to some other places I've lived. Um, And I went on exchange, a student exchange, when I left school. And at the time, in 1980, well, for 1988, um, France wasn't available as a choice because there was some um, controversy with um, Greenpeace and the Rainbow Warrior. And the organization I went with was not exchanging with France at that point. Um, So they fortunately found me a place in Belgium, uh, in Brussels. So in the French speaking um, part of Brussels, because there are three different languages that they speak there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I spent a year there after I'd finished high school. And that's where I think, you know, um, I had all A's in French in high school, you know, 100 on this and A plus and, but I couldn't really speak. I was very, I could understand a lot, but I Mm -hmm. couldn't really talk. 
So living in Belgium um, for that year was really where I learned to speak French properly. Um, and I came back uh, to Australia and I had got a place in a journalism course, which was very hard fought and um, did it for a year. And I really didn't enjoy it at all um, because at the same time, I was also doing an arts degree, which I loved. Um, so I continued to do that. And it was uh, French language, French literature and Spanish. And I finished that and decided that I didn't have a qualification to do any sort of job. So I went back and I did a teaching degree And then I started my PhD in French because I felt like I might want to teach at university. And I decided it was a bit strange to live in Australia and do a French literature PhD. So I um, moved to France, like on a one-way ticket. I went to Paris when I was 24 or something. And yeah, with the intent of, you know, finishing that PhD, Mm -hmm. um, I did it not seriously, but for about a year, a year and a half. And I just, there was too many other things to do as a, you know, 20 something person in Paris. And I ended up teaching English to supplement my scholarship. And I just really liked that. But then I um, met my husband, um, actually met him in Casablanca. He's Canadian. And um, like six or seven months later, I moved here. I had a job and I moved to Toronto to teach French. And then I teach those boys and a few grades older cooking, so up to grade eight. Okay. And how did that come about? How did you decide that you wanted to teach them cooking? I really got into going to hear like um, talks about food and chefs speak. And I heard Jamie Oliver speak. Mm-hmm. And he just finished the Food Revolution program in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was you know, doing this pass it on campaign where it's like, uh, I teach you a recipe and you teach two people and they teach two people and so on. And I felt like as an educator, that was something that I could do. And I was like, hey, I like cooking. I like food. I can do this. So I went to school the next um, day. That was in about November of 2009. And I said to my boss, I want to do a cooking club. And she's like, great. And it was just me initially teaching the boys. Um, I had 15 of them the very first session. Um, And sort of started using some kids cookbooks and the boys were a little bit bored doing that. Um, the recipes were fun and stuff, but they were too easy. And I just felt like there wasn't enough challenge for them. So I was like, well, Hey, why not use Jamie Oliver's book? So that's the food revolution book. And it's got really great things like burgers and pizza and Mm -hmm. bolognese and soup and curry and stuff that kids will actually eat. Um, sort of good real food meals that, you know, I think, everyone should learn how to make so the boys really loved doing that and um the club got really popular and I had to start doing it twice a week instead of once a week for little boys as well as the older boys and then it started getting a bit of attention on social media and people like chefs and food people were like I want to come and I want to come see what you're doing I want to come and hey I decorate cookies can I come and show the boys how to do that and hey do you want to come and like check out our restaurant and the boys can cook in the kitchen and So any opportunity that presents itself, I say yes to. Mm -hmm. Um, So the boys have been, you know, a little bit all over the place. They've cooked at Langdon Hall. They've cooked in Luma. They've cooked a lot um, at Lisa Marie. They love Matt Basile. Um, He's a favorite. Mm -hmm. He's just like a big kid. He's Mm -hmm. awesome. Um, They've been to a ton of different restaurants and had a ton of different guest chefs. So we've had chefs come in. Um, Vanessa Young of Aphrodite Cooks. She's on her 12th visit um, to the cooking club. So she obviously yeah. enjoys it. And it's a really great way for, you know, chefs and sort of food people to give back 
um, you know, and sort of pass on those skills that they have. Um, and it's sort of, pre- it's pretty fun. It's not, you know, it's not high, high stakes or anything, but, you know, we cook in a science lab at school. We don't have a kitchen. Um, science lab is pretty small these days. It's about half the size it was when I started. Um, it's, the equipment's pretty basic and we do a pretty great job. So I like to sort of show that off and prove that, you know, you don't need all this fancy stuff. You don't need a stand mixer. You don't need, a, you know, an induction. We have like the worst hot plates in the world and we manage to make amazing things. So I think it's important for kids heading off to university to know you don't need to spend a lot of money on stuff. A few good things, a knife, um, a really good pan, but, you know, don't go crazy and you can still do a real lot. Yeah. What about Sunday night dinner? Um, I'm, I'm interested both in growing up when you were in Adelaide or um, and also here now. So I think um, Sunday night dinner isn't something that we did. It was more Sunday lunch. And I think that comes from like my, my nana um, on my dad's side was English. So that's a very English tradition. Um, so we would often go to my nana's house for Sunday roast um and that was definitely something that we would do often maybe once a month you know it was roast mm-hmm. beef and yorkshire pudding and gravy so we would have sunday lunch as opposed to dinner sunday dinner at my house was often so this is like hilarious to me because i still like this my dad would have bacon and eggs my sister would have canned spaghetti on toast i would have baked beans on toast that's what we would have yeah, for Sunday night Sunday dinner. dinner. And I actually still really like all of those things for dinner. Yeah. Um, I actually like them any night of the week for dinner. And here I think um, for us, Sunday night is um, we often will pick a film or we're watching a, you know something on Netflix and you know we power through a few episodes. So we don't really want anything to be like too high maintenance. What's your comfort food or comfort foods? You know, it's going to sound really cliche because I'm cooking it right now, but like roast chicken is pretty great because it makes the house smell amazing. Um, It's not one of those dishes you wake up the next morning and are like, oh, I wish my house didn't smell like that. Um, And it's also cooks uh, enough food for like, especially in a two person plus a cat household. um, It cooks enough food for, you know, a few different meals and you can also do stuff with, you know, the leftovers. So, so Neil, will you just introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Neil Phillips. I'm Mr. Neil. I'm Mr. Neil of Mr. Neil's Roast Chicken. Named by Marty and Neil's friend's seven-year-old daughter, who helped Neil make it once and couldn't quite believe how much butter he used. I think roast chicken is the, uh, is the comfort food of comfort food. So. We didn't actually chat about that because I no? just said the same thing. Oh, did you? Yeah. That's why you get along so well. It really is. I mean, a, ro- a good roast chicken or roast anything, but roast chicken is so easy. And uh, I think it's a perfect book, a perfect dish to have in the book because everybody, when they first hear children's cookbook, they assume it's going to be, oh, we're going to put some pink icing on something. Yeah. Yeah. And then they see the pictures and my colleagues at work, everybody goes, wow kids make this and they always have that lilt in their voice so I think a roast chicken is uh, a life skill tell me your process Uh, I just covered the chicken with a bit of foil and let it rest for 10-15 minutes before carving it keeps the juices inside so they don't run out Um, I'm not sure where this chicken came from so I don't know if it's a watery chicken but 
But it had lemon in it, so it, that... The lemon does make it more watery, but it is beautifully cooked, and Cleo is watching. When Marty and Neil aren't in Toronto, they're probably in Nerac, in southwest France, where they own a home. It's a house they rent out throughout the year. It's near Bordeaux and Toulouse, and it's a short drive to San Sebastian in Spain. Yeah, actually, we ended up, this is like, seems a very, like, tenuous link, but we had been trying to get a reservation at Noma mm -hmm. in Copenhagen, mm -hmm. and I only had specific dates that I could try for, and we got, we got a date in March break in 2014. We decided that we didn't want to spend, like, a week and a half in Copenhagen. Um, so I was like, hey, we could go down and maybe, like, look at you know houses and then that's where we saw our house so it's kind of a, a, a random if we hadn't had that reservation we may not have even been going away so um yeah we looked at a few houses not a ton um I'd looked online for a long long time um like we kind of knew what we wanted having rented a bunch of places mm -hmm. ourselves. um and we found this place and I of all the places we looked at I didn't take any photos because I said and I quote it's way too much work. It needs too much work. But we um, we really lucked out. We've had a lot of um, friends uh, like point us in the right direction. We've got some great neighbors there. Um, and we've been renting it out since the beginning of 2016. One, one last question. Yeah. Um, if you could think of a favorite eating experience that you've had in your life, um, it could be a meal, it could be, you know, where you were, who you were with, um, just some, some memorable eating experience. I can think of lots, yeah. I'm going to say our first Christmas and New Year's in our French house, when we did that chicken yeah. in the toaster oven, and Marty made gougere in, in the toaster oven. oven. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, so low, low tech, you know, equipment can the make it. The extreme would be Noma. Yeah, Noma. Um, also the Willows Inn, uh, on Lumi Island out, um, off the coast of, uh, Washington. Washington. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember a farm table dinner in Sonoma, low key, not expensive. Marty's parents uh, were with us and it was... But there was also the Christmas, the New Year's Eve in Tunisia. We had Jiffy Pop, and we were trying to do that on a like a professional oven in the kitchen of the hotel we were staying. And also, we had marshmallows that we were trying to roast over a gas flame. It was not the best food, but it was pretty memorable. Yeah, I mean, we Neil and I have had some very high end uh, things. But then I think of Jock Chana, a oh. little tiny woman who runs a food stall on a back alley in Bangkok that when we went to Laos our guide introduced us to and four years later we went back we were in Bangkok for a conference and we were and determined I found it the addressless place from a I, photo from a photo from Google photo like um, geolocating the photo so yeah, we we have some extreme experiences there. Um, we're very lucky to have eaten at places like Noma. Um, we're also very lucky to have traveled to Bangkok and eaten in a back alley there. 
When I look at the book now, it's so much all about what I do at school and so much all about those boys and how many of their names and their parents' names are in the back because they tested recipes for me. So it's interesting that I felt like I could separate myself from what I do there and just write a kid's cookbook. But at the end of the day, being a blogger, being a food writer doesn't qualify me to write that book, but being a teacher does. So I feel like that's drawn on my, you know, 10 years of experience teaching kids to cook and 26, seven years teaching. All of the lessons that I've learned as a teacher are are right in there Um, from, you know, how the recipes are written to, you know, the lessons that I'm teaching in there. The school has been really supportive and really like excited and positive and very understanding about a lot of things and it's it's been that bringing the school piece in it feels like the missing piece because the book wouldn't exist without the school and the club what do you think lucas has tried some they're really good bit hot but really good so the boys always take something home? Uh, if it makes it out of the lab, yes. Sometimes it doesn't. This will because it's hard to eat. But, um, yeah, they, we usually, an hour is long enough to make and eat. So, and also we would just be here forever while they sat and ate. So. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Take some basil if you want. some conversation. Why do you think kids should learn how to cook? Um... So just to like help their parents make dinner sometimes, and uh, like if their parents go for dinner or something, you can uh, like cook yourself dinner, cook your brother's dinner or sister's dinner. Why do you think kids should learn how to cook? I guess it's easier for the future. Like when they're on their own and they don't have parents and stuff, they can't always be going to restaurants to buy food because they'll eventually run out of money. Do you like to cook at home okay, so as well? That's one. Yeah, I cook at home sometimes with my mom and dad. If it's pasta for dinner. I'd Is that your favorite thing to cook? It's the easiest. So. What's your favorite food to eat? Definitely my mom's kale salad. It's the best. It's always the kale Thanks so much to Royal St. George's College and to the Boys and Cooking Club. They were also welcoming and willing to talk about food and cooking. Thanks also to Brian Robinson, whose Sunday dinner growing up was seafood chowder. He was helping with Cooking Club. He teaches grade six at the school. And huge thanks, of course, to Marty and Neil and Cleo. It was lots of fun hanging out with you all and witnessing Mr. Neil's roast chicken. Visit Marty's blog at eatlivetravelright.com. You'll find links to their house in France, to Marty's book, and to tons of delicious recipes. All of those links can be found on our website, sundaynightdinnerpodcast.com, as well as the roast chicken recipe. Subscribe to Sunday Night Dinner on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music for the show is written by the super-talented J.J. Ibsen, and we'll be back soon with shows featuring Hey Modest Mars and Claire Tansy. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.